T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and ConnectingVets.com. Well, that's your website, my friend. Created by veterans for veterans. ConnectingVets.com is focusing on the veteran experience each and every day, bringing you the stories you, you should know about, the stories you'd want to know about, the stories you need to know about, and great things like benefits, discounts, all sorts of wonderful content in a variety of ways is presented on ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, you can follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. little tap on your phone or click of your mouse, and you will be living your best veteran life. Our next guest served in the United States Navy for over two decades, rising to the rank of Senior Chief, being awarded with the Bronze Star with Combat Distinguishing Device, the Purple Heart, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, and so on. Oh, also the trident of the U.S. Navy SEALs. It's also someone that you may have heard of because Senior Chief Kristen Beck is a little bit different than your average SEAL. However, very similar to many of the SEALs. And we're going to find out all about Senior Chief Beck right now. So, Kristen, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Good morning. Thank you. So let's first talk about your military service. Let's give you give us the background, the Cliffs Notes. Where are you from? When did you join? And we have a kind of an idea of what you did while you were in, but what was your specialty in there? Uh, I specialize in intelligence, mm. so I did a lot of the uh, the human human intelligence. I was doing source operations and going through all the the farm courses. Right. So I spent a lot enough time at the farm that I became a farmer when I retired. Wow! And so that was your <laughs> choice to go from the high tempo ops of U.S. Navy SEAL to farmer. Uh, that was part of it. I mean, that would be let's call that like phase four of your military to civilian life transition. Right. So the phase two is kind of the most difficult. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of phases that we all go through. And, of course, yep. a lot of people know that you've gone through a couple more transitions <laughs> than many other veterans, including the big one. Of course, you are transgender. You are transitioned from male to female. We're going to talk about that. We're yeah. going to talk about a lot more. Getting into farming, was that because of, uh, I mean, did you grow up on a farm? Where did the, the desire for that come from? I Yes, my uh, earlier childhood was on a farm in uh, western Pennsylvania. Okay. We had horses, a few cows, a lot of pigs chickens the whole thing hmm. so it was a it was the 1960s and 70s it was kind of those times when most families especially in in rural america we had the two channels on the tv set it was a black and white tv set our garden was our veggies otherwise you didn't get veggies hmm. our milk was from uh the local farm next door and my mom would mix with powdered milk too because i don't know why <laughs> and then uh we had government cheese i mean it was like it was a it was tough life in those days. I don't think that, like right now, the kids growing up don't always see that. They don't understand why I hoard. <laughs> they don't understand. You know, I ho I'm a hoarder. I save everything because I, something's going to break and you got to fix it or I might need that spring. And so I get stuff all over. It drives my wife crazy. But uh, it was it was tough growing up. But when you grow up like that, that work ethic, your attention to detail, the timing and time management and everything, because everything is so important because 
your crops. I mean, if you have no veggies in the whole garden or one of your cows dies or you didn't feed the pigs for long enough and when problems occur because you're not taking care of everything, mm. you don't you don't have. Yeah. You know, and when you don't have, it's it's tough. Yeah. It certainly can be. Of course, you chose to uh, leave the hard life of growing up on a farm and, as you said, hoarding <laughs> because of worrying that you weren't going to have something the next exactly. day for a much easier life as a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I don't know if that was <laughs> that maybe, exactly. maybe more of a lateral move. Sounds like the things that you learned growing up certainly yeah. would have helped you out during that that time in on the SEAL teams. Of yeah. course, everything comes to an end in the military. No matter who you yes. are, you're going to have to yeah. retire at some point. You yeah. did 20 years and you retire what do you remember about that point in your life? That point where you took off the trident, took off the uniform for the last time? I mean, were you scared? Yeah, it was It was super scary because, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You don't always have everything lined up. And it's one of those uh, one of those rules, especially in civilian world and corporate America, in corporate world in general, I think, is you always have to have something set up before you leave where you're at. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we as veterans, we don't do well enough. Because we have that military retirement, so we have okay. So the the you know bird of freedom is going to my mailbox, you know, every month, and here's my cash. And so we don't we don't worry about it, you know. And but we have to because you can't live on a military retirement. It's it's just not enough mm-hmm. nowadays in, in modern times. You can't live on that retirement. So you have to have something set up. Unless maybe you started investing early on in your military career, but let's be honest, how many of <laughs> us, does as all, all, all three of us, Jonathan Copanger is also yeah. in studio with us, all three of us were young sailors at some point, and yeah. saving money was nowhere on my list yeah. of priorities. I don't know when I was ever a young <laughs> sailor, but I do know that saving was a problem, yes. Well, Captain Jones was telling the British he had yet begun to fight, and uh, you know, the, back in those days. So. <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> Jonathan was there covering it for Navy time, for Stars and Stripes. Um of course, you went through that transition period leaving the military. What would you say are some of the lessons that you learned? Is it that, being uh, learning the civilian world and learning the different things that are expected and what you need to do? A hundred percent. But also the biggest thing we can do as military people is don't bring the military uniform and that chain of command and those pieces of the military. Don't bring it with you. Mm-hmm. But you need to bring in your your leadership and your management and all the other skills that you developed that sometimes we don't really think about. So the the strict nature of the military and how hardcore we are on failure, I guess, or on being late, mm-hmm. or on all those little things that we nitpick at in the military because it's so important, it's not going to be as important anymore. Mm-hmm. But the important things now are going to be your leadership skills and your style, your management skills and your styles, and those things, and, and being able to uh, manage diverse people in a military, we become cookie cutter peace and we all become green and we all become blue. We all become that red and gold of the Marine Corps. We become that part of that branch of service we do. And then even further in, I became a Navy SEAL. And so everything I did was all SEAL ethos and SEAL this, and it was all focused on that. I need to bring that those skills with me, but I can't bring that with me into the civilian world, if that makes any sense. I think it does, yeah. Because what we're doing is we're all the same, so it's easier because we're all SEALs. And I do it to my wife all the time, and it drives her crazy that I start working. And because she's not keeping up with me, I get angry because I expect her to be at my level doing a skill or something. And she just she's not that person. She's not a SEAL. Right. She didn't grow up in that way. But I don't, I don't, I don't dial back, and I go, oh man, I have to dial back. 
Otherwise, it puts up a huge wall. It pisses her off. It makes it harder to work in the future. Mm. And so we have to learn to put aside our green nature, Army, our blue nature of the Navy, the SEAL nature, put away the thing that we're all homogenous and the same and go, I need to deal with somebody who's, you know, they're a personality, but they show up late a lot because they're just kind of, they're forgetful or that. And I need to work with that and somehow figure out how I can use that. I'll start making my meetings earlier just for them and say, hey, the meeting starts at nine. What's actually at 10? And then they come in at 930 and then we can, I can have a coffee with them and talk to them a little bit and buff them up and say, okay, let's go. Okay. Everybody else is coming in now. We had our good meeting before the meeting and now we're set. We can rock and roll. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's what we have to concentrate on. There, when you're serving in the Navy or in any branch of the service, there are things that you learn over time. Hopefully you learn them the right way from someone mm-hmm. who's, who's serving over you. You know, in the Navy, your chief, your senior chief, your master yeah. chief, who's hopefully going to guide you the right way and teach you how to learn uh, the best way to motivate individual sailors. Because yes. there are those who like yep. to use you know, a baseball bat for every problem when yep. other times maybe a, you know, a little prodding might work and smashing the problem. But yep. uh, it, it's certainly something that does translate to the external world. As a SEAL. You brought up a really, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, no, no. So when you just said senior chief. Yeah. In the military, we have rank and we automatically, if you're a higher rank than me, there's already a, a built-in respect. Mm-hmm. If you're an officer and you're the captain, there's, there's a huge built-in respect. When you transition out of the military into the civilian world, it's all gone. That doesn't mean anything. You know, don't yeah. be a colonel anymore. Don't be a captain. Don't be a senior chief. And you know how in the military we always say, well, well, that person's at E8. They're not really a senior chief. Yeah. And people in the military, we understand what that means. That means that, okay, so you've been in long enough that you took the test and you passed and, and now you're of this rank, but you don't work at that level. You don't, your leadership or your style or your management or something, you're missing that piece to have that respect for that. So when you're in a civilian world, do not think that your rank in a military means an iota. It means nothing. And now you have to re-earn all that, and you have to show them. So don't walk in there expecting salutes. Walk in there as the E1 again, as the new boot camper, as you just graduated from the academy. Mm. Walk in there with your eyes open and ready to work. And then you have to show them through example and show them through your work ethic, through your the products you give them. And then the return on investment is all they're looking for. They want to know that they're making money off you. Right. And so if you, all you're doing is walking in there expecting salutes and then your return on investments, like, dude, you're just making everybody around here, you know, bow and salute you <laughs> and you're not bringing anything to the table. Yep. So you start over and understand that. And I, I, I hate that officer mentality that they really expect that. And they think that because I was an E8 and you were the colonel. And now we're working in the civilian world that you think you're above me. You think that you think that you're better than me, that you're this or that, that it's like, no, man, we're on a team now yeah. and there is no rank. Let's work. Let's make, let's get the company as much bang for the buck and as much in, you know, that RRI is all, that's all the companies care about. And that's what we have to understand in the military. Our return on investment was sometimes we built a roof on that school. Yep. You know, our return on investment in military sometimes is that you can't, there's nothing, there's no way to fathom or even calculate or look at it because there's a whole different thing. 
But yeah. in a corporate world, man, it's dollars and cents. It's the it bottom is. line. And I'm always wary of someone who wants you to call them by their military oh, rank. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I learn that you were something and I want to call you that out of a form of respect, you know, if I yeah. find out you're a chief, but if you're walking around trying to get me to call you chief after we've taken the uniforms off, I, I, you can go ahead with that someplace <laughs> else. I'm, I'm not buying what you're selling. We're Whoops. speaking to I do that on my Twitter page and all that. <laughs> it's chief back. <laughs> I have a specific reason for that, though. Really? And what's the specific reason? I don't want you to think of me as transgender or female or right. mayor or, or, or male or, or any of the above. So I try to use a lot of terminology that's that's agender, that's mm. no gender or not gender specific, or it's above gender. Right. I, w- I like to look at it so that you don't think of me in that context. I want you to look at me as a human. I don't want you to look at me as a transgender person. Right. I hate that. I, want, I don't even want you to look at me as a woman or a male or even a Navy SEAL or anything. What am, what am I doing right now as a human being? Mm. And that's like my, my work with the service dogs, my work with a whole bunch of nonprofits, trying to educate as many people as I can to the fact that when all you do is you, you look at the color of my skin or you look at my gender or you look at my sexual orientation or you look at – and that's all you concentrate on, mm. then you're missing so much more. So if you can look beyond that and you can look into a, at a deeper aspects of my life, then that's what I want you to see. And so if you see on there and all you see is a label of, of Ms. or transgender or Navy SEAL or, or all the above and all these superficial, very surface descriptions of me, then you're never going to see me. Hmm. And that goes into the spirituality and the intellectual. The philosophy of my life is this is – the, that little package of clay dirt that I'm going to use for 70 years right. for something that's everlasting, this 70 years isn't, isn't me. Mm. So yeah. what you see right now, this isn't me. And that's why I go into like made in God's image and all the other stuff about the spiritual side of my life is that God's image is not the skin. Right. God, God's image is not color or gender or Anything that we're seeing right here, right now, God's image is that soul, that spark, that that energy, and whatever labels. And God is many different labels and all the different words, and I accept all that. Right. And your spirit and your energy and that inside core of you, there's a lot of different names for it. But that, if you can see that in me, rather than the labels about gender and all the other things that we stick on there. That's why I do Chief. Right. Because I want it to be above that, but it's also something you can say, oh, Chief Beck. And then we can get into conversation. Right. So let's dig in past the superficial BS. I don't like the conversations. Those I don't do small talk. I don't, I'm going to dig right in. I'm going to go, bam. Yeah. And if you can do that with me, then that's what I want you to do. I don't want to talk about transgender. I don't want to talk about male and female. I don't want to talk about stereotypes. I don't want to talk about all this other stuff. I want to get deep. Yeah. And we're speaking with retired U.S. Navy SEAL, Senior Chief Kristen Beck. You just call her chief. Just call her senior. Whatever you want to call her, just have the conversation with her. And it seems like that's what you're all about. And it's interesting with you being transgender. It seems that when I first became aware of you, there were other people that did and saw you as something that stood for something, could possibly be used for something. They saw you in whatever light they wanted, negative, positive, positive. 
How did it feel to be at the center of that, you know, to be publicly, openly transgender and a Navy SEAL, which to some people seems to be they just can't wrap their head around it, really. You know, one of the toughest of the tough warriors is a transgender person. How can that be? Yeah. And then on the other side, the transgender community, the activist community saying, ah, so now this is someone we can use and weaponize uh, to make sure that people understand what we want. How do you view all of that? And how did that feel when you went through that process? It's it's a hundred percent the way I see it. It's a hurricane, and I'm in the center of a hurricane. And if it's just me and me and my thoughts and my life, it's calm for me. It's just me living my life, and so that's the calmness. But if you step, you know, six feet away from me, then it starts getting hectic. It gets crazy, mm. and that could be some family and some friends and people that know me. But then if you go 20 feet, 50 feet, it starts getting it starts getting more and more rough. It gets it gets bad. And that would be the people that you were just talking about, a transgender activist, the LGBT activist. That would be news media. Mm-hmm. That would be the person that helped me write a book once. All the people that want to use me for their agendas are all on the outside edges of that of that hurricane. And so if I start trying to go from where I am in my center and calm and I'm good because I'm living this is me. But if I leave that spot and my center of calmness and I start going towards that media right. or I go towards that book or I go towards that person that wants to use me for their agenda, then it's, it's hectic and yeah. I fall apart. And I've done that a, a few times. And I can look back on what I've done since retiring from the military, which has been since 2011, and I've been out of my center and into that, in that terrible hurricane winds and destruction a few times. I can count probably a dozen times that I left my center and I went out there because I thought they were closer to my center, that they were here. But yeah. when I was out there, it got crazy. Yeah. And I paid for it. You know, it's been painful. I can imagine. And uh, How do you center yourself? That's a great question. And you had something you want to bring up earlier, too, that if you want to go back to that. But how do I keep my center would be my wife, my spirituality, my farm, my friends, my close friends, or people that speak on the same wavelength as me, because mm. I think it's all frequencies. And that same thing about the hurricane and the calmness in the center. So if I meet someone, and I meet people often enough that are on the same frequency as me, that they're thinking kind of the same things, mm. that they speak in the same spiritual or intellectual or the same human terms, and they have some of the same goals. Not all. You're never going to meet somebody that's going to have any of the same agenda or goals or anything. But if you can meet somebody that's in the 70% range, that's pretty darn close to your frequency that they're going to be able to be near you. And that's the center. Right. And so you find the calmness. And you have to find those people. And so if all you're doing is by yourself and you do not understand how to find those people, is that you have to be vulnerable. You have to, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. You, the only way to hug a person is you have to be vulnerable. You have to put your hands out like that. If you have your arms crossed or you have your fists up and you're ready to fight, nobody can get close to you. No. But if you have your arms open and you're saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm here for a hug, I'm okay. That's a vulnerability, but then people see that and they go, wow, okay, I'm like you a little bit. There's some commonalities and mm. I can dig that. And then they would also open up a little bit and then you get a hug. And then it's, that's the piece. We're speaking with retired United States Navy SEAL, Senior Chief Kristen Beck, recipient of the Bronze Star, Purple Heart, many decorations. Of course, spent two decades serving in the United States Navy's Special Forces elite teams and 
going through a lot since you left the service. I mean, going through business stuff, there was a, uh, a little political career that didn't work out perhaps as you'd hoped. And I want to talk about that very briefly because that is one of two things I think you have in common with one person that I hear a lot of people kind of uh, lumping you in together with. Oh, and I want to know please, from you don't. <laughs> how you feel about that because, all right, you served in the military, you're transgender. Okay, you do not say office. the name and everybody's going to figure it out. Uh, we'll we'll see if if people well, if they want to dig in a little out. bit. A certain soldier, former soldier, disgraced yes. former soldier. The fact that you have maybe two three things in common with this person has people kind of putting you as like two peas in a pod. How do you feel about that? Well, you just mentioned two or three things in common. Right. I probably have a thousand things in common, hmm. but we've never spoken. We probably never will speak, so we'll never know. Me and you, we have a thousand things in common. Yep. And we have six differences. Mm. And so that's how I look at life. And that's how I look at people also, is that you you have so much in common and you're never going to figure it out until you sit down and you have a conversation and you share some time. And you actually do, like I was speaking about earlier, about the vulnerability to actually open up a little bit. So her and I probably have a lot in common. Yeah. But there are some basic things that I have that I'm totally, I totally disagree with. Yeah. And one of them is loyalty. One of them is uh, honesty and commitment to your promises. And so if you sign a contract, you sign a four-year contract to defend the Constitution, you sign a four-year contract with the American people that you're going to do everything you can in your power to promote freedom and equality and all the things that we stand for. And, and mm. I think America is a great nation. We do a lot of great things. We mess some things up. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that you can fix some of those mess ups. And one of the ways that you can fix it is not by releasing 700,000 documents that you did not read, <laughs> that you did not study, that you did not analyze. 700,000 documents were just, were just thrown out to the public with no knowledge of what was in those no vetting, There's no yeah. way. There's no vetting. And that's why we redact. We redact documents all the time because you want to protect some sources. And like I said, I wasn't source operations. I was, I was human. Mm -hmm. I did intelligence. And, and I dealt with a lot of people who were in very uh, dangerous situations in Afghanistan that if anybody knew that they were helping me, that they would have been killed instantly. That'd be it. Game over. Yeah. And the reason they were helping me wasn't because they hated the Taliban. It wasn't because they hated Afghanistan. It wasn't because they hated anything, mm. but they loved Afghanistan. And they loved their family. And they loved their country and what it could be and that hope. And that was why I was in Afghanistan was because I don't, I don't want to be there, but I know that you have some people that have taken over that are not doing what Look at the 1970s Afghanistan, oh, beautiful yeah. country, 60s Modern. and 70s, amazing. Dance clubs, discotheques. It was, <laughs> and it, but it was free and it was prosperous and it had you know industry and it had so much going for it. I want that to be Afghanistan mm. again. And that's what, when you talk to that farmer that I brought on that was helping me, he had his farm, or I was talking to that businessman in Afghanistan and he was helping me. It's because that's what they wanted. They wanted their children to grow up in a country that wasn't under the thumb of a religious persecution or, or fanatics or anything else that you say. And I'm not saying all of Islam. I, I have some is Islamic friends who are, are amazing, and I love them. But there are people that take 
you know, pieces of a religion and they warp it into their thing. And it's oh, yeah. not Islam, it's them. Yep. And so I was helping those folks and they were helping me to try to stop that and to bring their country back into a prosperous and productive and a, and a, a country of greatness and great people. They're amazing people. Yeah. And that was what I was doing. And so, and so she released documents with some of those names on there and those people are, were killed and are dead. And then I have people say, well, show me their names and show me the people that were killed. So I can't do that because then their families are dead. And that snowballs and that all stuff yeah. will prove to me that somebody was killed. And I said, I, if you had the clearances, I could show you right now. Yeah. How about, how about taking, it just, taking it just, senior chief's word for it? It's, well, nobody will ever do that, especially <laughs> on that. They'll, they'll put up those, no, yeah, I want to yeah. see it in black and white. And I says, yeah. well, I'll show you some cable traffic. I'll show you some other stuff I worked with. And there's huge amounts of damage. Hmm. Now, whistleblowers, if she was an actual whistleblower, she'd be one of my heroes. And a whistleblower is somebody that releases seven documents that they studied. They might have redacted a few things, and they showed the issues. They showed the problems. And out of those seven documents, not 700,000, but seven documents, so that one video— if she released that one video of that helicopter gunship and what was going on, yeah. that one video would have been a hero. Yeah. And and really, it's it's those small decisions that make the difference between uh, the heroes and the yeah. goats or the exactly. heroes and the traitors, as the case may be. So yeah. we're speaking with Kristen Beck, retired United States Navy SEAL, senior chief in the United States Navy, now working in the civilian world and doing a lot of things. And one thing that anyone who's around you these days will notice is that you bring a friend with you just about everywhere you go. You have a service animal. So tell us about your service dog and, and when that became a part of your life. So I have a service dog, Lily. She's super friendly, and we call her Lily, Lily the Hammer. <laughs> it's like a totally opposite thing. She's like, she's so loving, and she's like, oh, rubbing your ass. So when I say Lily the Hammer, people go, what? So it's just kind of funny. But uh, the American Disabilities Act is is something that enables people to have something that helps them uh, – and I, this is hard, the wording. So it, it, she helps me deal with situations that might otherwise would preclude me from even leaving the house. Mm. So let's leave it at that. So if you had someone who, was, who lost their legs in combat, and I have, I have a lot of friends right. who have lost limbs. They've lost, lost their legs. And, and legs is the easiest way to describe this. So if that person has prosthetic legs and they're able to walk and get around, and, and I just met a, a gentleman uh, army that ran all those marathons or, and I'm totally, this is one of my issues is TBI. I forget stuff, but you can look them up. Right. So look up uh, 20 marathons in 20 countries or something like that. Oh, 31 marathons, 31, 31 days. Yeah, Rob yeah. Jones. Yeah. Rob our Jones. friend Rob oh Jones. God. Yeah. You just totally nailed it. So <laughs> Rob Jones, amazing story. Yeah. And so he lost his legs in IED explosion. His prosthetic legs is like my service dog. Right. So it enables him to do things that he actually could not do otherwise. Hmm. And so when you see Rob and he has a pair of shorts on and you see his legs, do you walk over to his legs and you start like petting his legs and you start knocking his legs and go, wow, these are really cool legs. And you start, and that's all you concentrate on is go, oh my God, you know, oh, I wish I had a pair of legs like that. Yeah. That's my service dog. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to give you a lesson right now that, and someone that also lost their legs or they're paralyzed or something and they're in a wheelchair, you don't walk up to that person in a wheelchair and start petting a wheelchair. No. Or you don't start saying, oh, you know, how old is your wheelchair? You know, oh, it's such a cute wheelchair. Can yeah. I, you know, what, what's his name? Right. 
you know, and that's what happens with service dogs, that you, this is my wheelchair, my, you know, prosthetic legs. This is my ability to do things that I otherwise not, could not do. Right. And, and it, that's a huge lesson that I want everybody to hear yeah. is exactly that, is that leave my dog alone. I was in a bar the other day, and, uh, yeah, I drank beer. PBR is my favorite. <laughs> or some, oh, God. So, PBR. So, so, See, I was with you until you threw that uh, three-letter word oh, out. Me too. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to bring that up later, I'm too. I'm done with this interview. Don't, okay, don't, do not go stray from that conversation. But I'm in a bar, and I had the dog, and I was just sitting there, and there's a pool table, and across the pool table on the benches far enough away, 30 feet maybe, yeah. or however far away it is, there's this dude over there, and he's going... And he's calling, he's like, come here, come here, come here. And he's patting his leg and doing all the stuff to try to get the dog, the dogs react to, trying to get the dog to come over to him. And it, I have a vest on. It's pretty obvious. It's huge letters that says service yeah, vest. Yeah. It's a combat-looking vest because it was one of my old rigs. Right. That was my, M, my M4 magazine pouches that I took, and I switched all the pockets around, and I put different buckles on. So now she wears something I wore in Afghanistan for like a year, which is kind of cool in, in its own way. Yeah. And that's another business that I'm trying to help out yeah. for veterans that want service dog and have their vests that they wore in combat to put it on your dog. It's kind of neat. She's yeah. wearing a piece of me now. But the guy's calling the dog over, and I'm going, and I'm going, dude, this is a my service dog. Stop. Can you mm. please stop? Yeah. And then a few minutes later, he started doing it again. And so I stood up, and I was like, dude. <laughs> and I said, seriously, you want to make me angry? And I said, the reason I have a service dog right now is because I'm not over there punching you in the face. Yep. And I said, so I have a couple of anger issues. I have some freaking PTSD. I got TBI, and I forget stuff sometimes. I got anxiety, and I have a lot of stuff right now. Yep. And you make me want to come over there and punch you in the face. Yep. And believe me, I have enough training that I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to do two hits. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be me hitting you and you hitting the floor. <laughs> That's going to be it. And I said, dude, leave me alone. Leave my service dog alone. Stop. Yeah. And then the guy, and the guy was like, and I was like, <laughs> that that's, <did> it? <laughs> but that's what, so people also ask, they says, well, why do you have a service dog? And I said, did it, did I kill you yet? Right. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, I said, the that's dog an is working. Yeah. So leave me alone. Yep. I will say though, your dog, as soon as we walked into the studio, she came right up, put her <laughs> hand or her head right under my hand. Like she's very, yeah. very friendly. Yeah. Yep. But it, it's, it's different dog. when the dog approaches you right. as to when people like at a bar yeah. and after you told the person yeah. for them to keep yeah. doing it, yeah. um, that could have worked out yeah. very, very badly for that yeah. gentleman at that bar. But that's when you see a service dog, that's, Think of it like the wheelchair. Think of it like my prosthetic legs. Or think about it right. as anything else that enables a person to live a full life. And that's all. And so just stop. Hmm. And the reason you don't pet service dogs is because if you're petting the dog or you attempt to pet or you approach the dog to pet the dog, is you're distracting the dog from doing his job for me, and then you're rewarding the dog. So you're rewarding a dog for doing the wrong thing, bad behavior, so you're, you're reinforcing the dog to do the wrong thing. Hmm. And that's the reason why you shouldn't pet service dogs. Right. And so if you have the owner, and I do it sometimes, like even earlier before I saw you, was one of your producer, I was saying, he said, well, I can't pet it, it's a service dog. And I said, well, if I show the dog that you're okay and I pet the dog and I bring the dog over to you, then I'm giving the dog permission to right. see you and interact. Then you can pet the dog yeah. because now I'm giving a dog permission to do something different right. than its job. Yeah. So it's not you rewarding a dog; it's me rewarding a dog and saying, "Hey, here's another buddy." That's how it can. That's how you can interact with a service dog. Mm. And sometimes it's like, don't even ask. Just saying, and it, people know 
if you have a service dog you're around a lot and people love dogs and you know when you see somebody when when that person like your producer start wagging his tail he's going hey hey what's dog <laughs> and I'm being funny but it's like you know when people love dogs and yeah. they really want to pet the dog you're like hey and so I will and as a service dog owner I see it and I go hey okay hey hey come here Lily hey see this guy this is a good guy you can and I yep. pat and I push the dog a little bit over towards you just a little a little you know movement yeah. and the dog goes oh okay I can do that and then it makes that person happy, and a right. dog's happy, and I'm happy. That's how you do it. Yeah, and we all know. Good. If you have a service dog, you know when a, another human being is wagging her tail and going, oh, my God, I'm a dog person. I'm a dog person. I want to pet that dog so bad. We know. Mm-hmm. And usually we're pretty friendly, and we'll, we'll help the situation. But sometimes you never know where that person's head is. Or you never know right. somebody with a service dog, where they're at, or what's going on in their life. If they don't offer, they don't help a little bit, and they don't, you know, let that dog know that it's okay, and then you bring it together. That person brings the dog and you together. Right. Leave them alone. Yeah. And it's just a distraction. The dog is doing a job. Yeah. I have a question yeah. uh, on this for you about the VA. The VA does not provide service dogs. Do you think no. the VA should provide service dogs for no, veterans? not at all. Why? The VA's job is to take care of the veteran. There's so many things right now that they need to do, making those prosthetic legs or getting better wheelchairs for folks or, or working on TBI and figure out what the heck it is. Yeah. There's so many other things that are direct to the veteran that they need to fix, and they need to fix. There's so much stuff that they need to work on. Mm. Now, if you start taking $20,000 per veteran to get them a dog, and 20000 is the bottom line. Yeah. That's bottom. And so that's going to end up being a huge amount of money. Yeah. And the thing is, also on top of that, is there's a lot of civilian groups, and I know I'm making a lot of people angry right now, but there's a lot of civilian nonprofits that take care of dogs. Wounded Paw Project is one, and that's who I work with is Wounded Paw Project. And we work with Last Chance Animal Rescue mm-hmm. and a lot of other animal rescues. We rescue dogs, and we train – not every dog can become a service dog, but we rescue the ones that we see – through a lot of different testing and techniques, we know which dogs we can work with. We bring those dogs out of a rescue situation. We train them in a service dogs and give them away free to veterans. And how do we do that? There's a lot of people that want to help veterans out. And you don't help a veteran out by buying a stupid yellow magnet, this little ribbon that's sticking out of the back of your car. Right. <laughs> you help a veteran out by donating yeah. 20 bucks or 50 bucks to an organization like Wounded Paw Project or like Connecting Veterans. Yep. You you donate your time or your money, not into those stupid little magnets or all the other crap that's out there. Donate into one of these organizations. And there's enough of these organizations, there's enough caring people that want to help veterans that are helping out. And so we have enough money. And we don't want the VA to be sidetracked into taking care of that. Now, the thing the VA can do is they can set up the guidelines for veteran service animal and have a little card that says this is a veteran service animal that's been trained and these guidelines or these hoops they need to jump through and they can do it Mm. that they have the little card just like i have my my va card or like i have all my other cards Mm -hmm. they give the little card what that card gives you is it gives you access to veterinarians and maybe vet care for the dog Uh that's all yeah and with that little card we're not going to be on an airplane where I start getting abused because of the service peacocks and the people that have these fake service animals. Where I was like, Here's my card. My dog has been trained. You see my dog right here, well-trained dog, right? Because it's gone through all this stuff. It has mm-hmm. you know, $20,000, $30,000 worth of training into this dog. Mm-hmm. It's not a service peacock. It's not one of those dogs that's yapping the whole trip and somebody says, 
with a little vest they bought for 20 bucks. Right. This dog is a service dog. Yeah. So with that card that the VA provides to veterans only for their dogs, and it won't be that many, we're not going to have those problems at the airport. Yeah. And then the airlines will start seeing these cards and go, wow. If they see that card, they go, yeah, right on. You're good. Because I get flack and I get people asking questions and they don't know what questions to ask because they're not trained well enough. Mm-hmm. And at, at an airline, the one airline that had that did it correctly uh, the other day was uh, Southwest Airlines, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. The person at the ticket counter asked all the ADA questions almost verbatim, and it was awesome. I was going, wow. And I kind of got taken aside, and I'd, I would start, I had to stop for a second and go, oh, you're asking me all the questions that you're supposed to ask because it threw me for a loop. And then I answered. They said, they said is that a service, service animal? I said, yes, this is my service dog. And then they asked, what are the tasks? And I was going, huh? oh. I was like, <laughs> then I started saying, and one of them is TBI. And I was, I was like, I forget stuff. And a dog carries some of my meds because I'd, and so it reminds me. But there's so much we can talk about service animals. Right. I want the VA to do guidelines and maybe give a card. And maybe that would be all. So there'd be no money involved, no nothing. Right. Just set the guidelines. Then the airlines and everybody else, if I pull that card out, you go, yeah, right on. Yeah. Come into my restaurant. And then there's zero problems. Well, Although, since they already provide medical care for the service dog while they're yes. working, this would make this would be logical. But again, yeah. we're going to ask the VA to come up with another card, which we know. Yeah, we just saw how that well worked with the veteran so. ID what, card. What, about, what if they just put a little thing on your on your VA card, it, like motorcycle endorsement? Mm. Right. Yeah, it and it would be. just it would just say uh, somewhere on the card it would just say, you know, service dog approved. But you're so thinking you logically and pragmatically, and the VA yeah. is not particularly good at either of those things. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so let me show you. On on my VA card, right. and this would be this is actually a better idea. On my VA card, which I have here somewhere, it has service connected, right. then it says purple heart. And so if you see that on the VA card, so right. this would be the way to do it. If it said service connected, purple heart, and service, service dog. dog. Yeah. Or service animal. That would work. That then you just show that. Questions. And just, that would be easy. That's mm-hmm. actually a better idea than I had even before. There you go. Because then if you pull that out and show you my VA yeah. card, yep. and as you see on there, service connected, service animal, and I go, well, here, service animal, I'm authorized. I'm service connected. Here's my mm-hmm. service animal. Here's my thing. So it would be a program. They already do it. Right. They just type in, in a machine and give me a new card that they already have authorized. That's it. That's the easiest way. You oh, think yeah. it'd be easy yeah. to add in Bam. another line. Of course, now I'm sure there's somebody over at the VA listening right now going, actually, that <laughs> program only allows for two lines. If we put a third one in there, that, you know, there's going to be something. But that is not a bad idea. I mean, I they would can, give up my Purple Heart where it says service connected Purple Heart. I would say service connected service animal. Service animal. Mm. There you go. So how... Yeah. I mean, how much yeah, it means to you. I mean, that sounded weird. I just said I would give them up my purple heart. Right. It's that we know, we know what you mean. If you're only it's, limited it's by important. two lines, yeah. I could give it to, you know, President Trump. Well, oh, your your oh, service you know, dog. Does he need another one? Your service dog is helping you live. The purple heart medal, it's it's an important thing to you. It's it's a memory of something that you went through, but each and every day your service dog is is yeah. uh, of importance to you each and every day and of actual, you know, use to you each and every day, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's what yeah. you mean there when talking about the purple heart. We're mm. speaking with retired United States Navy SEAL, Senior Chief Kristen Beck. You know, as a SEAL and growing up around some SEALs and then knowing some while I was in and afterwards, it's a tight-knit community. It really is. You guys, uh, you, you guys and ladies, I suppose I have to say now. You chiefs. Yeah, you chiefs. All you chiefs <laughs> and first classes and second classes have gone through so much together, understand so much about each other. In general, I'm sure there are, uh, are cases either way that are different, but in general, how has the community been 
receptive to you over the last few years. You got out seven years ago. They knew you as one person when you were serving on the teams. You are still the same person, but you're now Kristen Beck. How has the community been responding to that? The and you're talking about mostly about transgender and about my activism about yeah, all that. Yeah, about everything about so, your public persona, the transgender the issue, public yeah. persona, writing a book. Uh, I mean, there's so many reasons why the seals we're just we we mess up so badly. I think it's too many movies, too many books, too much stuff out there. But then again, it's not. Now, in in the book about me, in the documentary film, in the upcoming film. There's not, there's no tactics. There's no like, there's no SEAL team stuff. There's no things that you could even think was like classified or anything. It's just about me and my life and, and stuff I've been talking about on the radio right now. Right. It's about spirituality. It's about this or about that. That's what I talk about in books. I talk about leadership management in my book or anything I'd put out publicly is just that. And so what's the big deal about me writing that? Yeah. There's not. And so we get a lot of flack for that. So I get flack for the book. I get flack for a film. I get flack for all kinds of stuff from my fellow SEALs because they ask oh, too much. We're the quiet professionals. I say, yeah, we are the quiet professionals. How many tactics did I talk about? Yeah. I'm still a quiet professional. I'm not sitting there thumping my chest and saying, look at me because I want attention. I'm saying, look at me because I want to set an example so that people can say, I can do that. I can achieve that. This is a mountain I can climb. Yeah. It's not trying to do spotlight on me. For me, I'm doing spotlight on the achievement, on where you could go. Now, if the suicide rate amongst your community is 41%, because these young kids are growing up with no examples, mm -hmm. they have no hope, they're getting bullied by everyone because they're different, they're getting all that, wouldn't you want to do spotlight on achievements of people that made it, mm. they're still here? To maybe save a couple of those kids from making a big mistake. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And so that goes into the same thing about the acceptance of my SEAL team friends, the SEAL team community as a whole. Anyone I worked with, or the majority, I'd say 99% right. of everyone I worked with, they know who I was then. And then if they give me a chance and they speak to me for more than five minutes and you go, wow, you haven't changed a bit. And I said, <laughs> no, I, I haven't because this is still me. It's always been me. Right. Right. You just never saw some of the rapping. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about, you know, the quiet professional. Of course, we've heard the Green Berets talking about, oh, no, that's a Navy SEAL thing to do to write a book and put it out there. Of course, they're, 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 telling more us, books <laughs> they're telling us that on the radio, uh, oddly enough, and things like that. It's, it's this interesting thing in the veteran community where some of us want to pull others down. And it's also interesting that even within, let's look at the SEAL community and some of the yeah. people who've been successful and talk about the fact that they're SEALs. I haven't heard too many people say anything negative about Jocko Willink. Successful podcast, very successful books. Him doing it seems okay in some people's because eyes. Because he's Conan. Yeah. And all he does is Conan. Right. So if you want to hear somebody lifting weights and going, Urgh, and talking tough and going, look, at I woke up at 3.30 a.m. and I'm working out. And if that's what you want to hear, and that's what everybody thinks Navy SEALs are. Right. And so he's exactly the stereotypical, what everyone wants, everyone wishes Everyone needs a Navy SEAL to be is what he shouts about. Right. And he's always a shouting. <laughs> you see? Now, if I'm talking about this and I'm totally opposite of the stereotype and I'm, I'm a, a little quieter, not so much, I'm spiritual, I'm this and I'm that, and I don't, I don't care that I can still bench press 250 pounds and I still fight and I still do that yep. and I still do a lot of work and my work ethic and my, my, 
my mind is still exactly what I was in the SEAL teams, but I don't have to yell about that. Right. And so I'm talking about everything else because I've grown past only being Conan. Because Conan's pretty cool, but if all you are is Conan, yeah, you know, you can watch the movie, but you can only watch that movie going into the whole Conan thing. I can watch it, you know, in my whole life. I've watched it maybe 10 times. Right. Because I'm kind of a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched Happy Gilmore more. Right. But I I want to see other stuff too. Yeah. You know, and I want to do other things and I want to grow past that and I want to do right. more. But if that's what you want Navy SEALs to be and that's what everybody expects, then yeah, this can be super popular and that's okay to do that. Right. You're okay to be a SEAL and be Conan and yell and lift weights and, and be tough and bite nails. And dude's tough. Oh, yeah. I would never, I don't know anybody would ever want to fight the dude. No. Also, he's I have a, a monster. black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I mean, and also, and I mean, he, he's amazing, he, yeah. but I want to see other dimensions There's, of that. It's okay to be you different. Know? Isn't Wake that kind of Wake up at 7 a.m. and have a cup of coffee and chill out on the beach. <laughs> he's, have a margarita. He's somewhere. He sensed you yeah. saying that, and his teeth are yeah. gritting in San Diego right but the now thing because is, getting like, up at 7 a.m. But <laughs> there's other dimensions to your life that you're never going to, nobody would ever know. Right. And it, it would be like, dude, you know, chill out a little bit, you know? Well, then again, you, it's a media persona as well. I mean, I, how many people yeah. know things about him personally no, he's besides the same, his friends? Right? He's, the same, oh, he's the same. He's the same guy. You know back him, then. So. <laughs> yeah. When we were, go I went through SEAL Team 1. I was with him for nine years at SEAL right. Team 1. I see, he was the same back then. Yeah. He didn't change a bit. Well, And I don't think he'll don't. be 80 years old and be the same. Still but I would love to see another dimension, dude. <laughs> well, you know, don't put a freaking dress on because that would be terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> not really so much, maybe. But, but, uh, but. There are there are other things, you know. Yeah, and that's I, how I hear it what you're saying. Like, Man, yeah. I mean, there's there's I think there's there's a place for someone like him. There's a place for someone oh, yeah, like you. 100%. And it, it illustrates looking at yeah. the two of you, who yeah. I, I have tremendous respect for both of you and all that you accomplished yeah. in your Navy careers. Yeah. Very different people. Yeah, doing your things and well, doing. Do you remember good what things. I said earlier about a thousand things I have in common with that trader? Right. I really believe that. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have not in common that I really hate. Yeah. And I, well, I only really despise maybe two or three things. Right. But it was a thousand things. So, but the, Jocko will never look at me and see me as that old Navy SEAL hmm. who was faster, uh, swimming, running, oak course, everything, uh, shooting. <laughs> uh, I could carry him on my back and do <laughs> the 20 mile marathon. That was me in the SEAL teams. I was the honor man top and always finished first. And I was, I was the, I was top, hmm. and he knows it, but he'll never see that ever again in the past seven years. Yeah. He'll never accept anything other. He won't accept my other dimensions. Really? And because I have the other dimensions of my life, he's put that wall up and won't even have a conversation. Hmm. He'll just go, Ugh, and walk away. That's interesting. They go f that and walk away. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see the two of you join each other's podcasts and have a discussion. Yeah, that weird. would be. That would be. I think a, a little He'd bit more productive. It. It's been. It's been talked about. Other people yeah. have said it to him, but it'll never happen. Well, speaking and of the I podcast, that's fine. But before we finish up here, I wanted to talk about the fact that you are doing a podcast. Where yes. can people go to find it? And what's your podcast focus on? So I'm working with uh, American Veterans Center, Radio America. And my podcast is called Everyday Valor. Now, I started a podcast a couple of years ago, Everyday Valor, the same kind of concept, but I wasn't working with a, a group that was that did it as well as Radio America. They're amazing. And uh, every day I look on Twitter and every day I'm looking at the news, I see so much junk and so much bad stuff. It's all, it's all car crashes and train wrecks. 
And people are always looking and going, oh, my God, the rubbernecking mentality of, of us. I want to see the other stuff. And so every day there's someone doing something selfless. They're doing something heroic in their own way to make a better, a better world. And I really believe that everyone has this ability. They just need to pay attention. They need to understand the impacts of their, of their actions and, and understand that the world is crap because we aren't paying attention or we don't put out that extra effort to try to make it better. We're all just rubbernecking and looking at the train wreck hmm. and just riding on that same train. And so I want to start pointing out all of these folks who are heroes and they do heroic things. And it's like the salt. There's not, we don't need a lot of it, but I want more, and I want people to start paying attention that they could also be the salt. Right. And I want to show and highlight that there was a nurse at the VA who had a homeless veteran walk in with some really bad issues and stuff was going on in this veteran's life. And a nurse brought him in and started doing this stuff, going through the vitals and everything else. And the nurse was like, hey, you're not wearing any shoes and you have this hip problem. You have this, and you have some other things going on. You know, what, what size are your feet? And the veteran was like looking at, you know, this nurse and going, well, uh, size 10. Hmm. Well, I'm size 10 too. And the nurse immediately took off shoes and gave them to the veteran. And now the nurse is walking around barefoot in the hospital and the veteran now has shoes and maybe it would help with that hip problem with his other problem. Other, it was like, well, this is that was that's heroic. Mm. And then the nurse had to go out to a car or go to, go around a corner and buy another pair of shoes. It was like, no, on yeah. the spot. I see your problem. I see someone that needs some help. And those are the stories I talk about on my show. Well, that's awesome. And where can people go to find it? Is there a website that they can check out? Or we're gonna release it so this is like a precursor Ooh, you'll see it and this is like gonna be building up to it awesome. follow me on twitter my twitter is valor for us and that's like to silent professionals valor is not for me the spotlight is not for me i want to talk about the achievements i want to talk about this Valor's for us mm-hmm. so valor the number four us on twitter instagram pretty much everything if you look at valor for us you're gonna find me you can find so her, follow uh, me and then you'll see the podcast and you're gonna hear some stories that you will never hear anywhere else i can almost guarantee it because nobody's looking at these stories they're not train wrecks these are little glimpses of heroes sounds absolutely fascinating there's a lot of fascinating stuff to talk about with senior chief Kristen beck united states navy seal retired thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing today we really appreciate your time senior thank you so much there we go t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.